0: Hello and welcome to Secondhand Stories. Here's a place where I tell you stories. Why? Because I like doing that. What kind of stories will you find here? You will find histories, mysteries and unbelievistries. That's trademarked. Today's story that I'm going to be telling you is a bullseye for unbelievistry. It's truly unbelievable and incredible. It's a story about the perseverance of the human spirit. And if ever there was a story that told you this. This is the one. Our story starts in a place called Marshall Islands. Now Marshall Islands are a small cluster of islands in the Pacific Ocean. They're in the middle of nowhere in between Hawaii and Philippines. There's a small dots of land in this expanse of ocean. On these islands, there's a couple and they live in a beach house. And one day, There's frantic knocking at their door. They open the door and they find an extremely strange man standing outside. He's got this crazed look on his face. He's gaunt and he's pale and he's got this shock of hair that just goes vertically upwards. He's got this scraggly beard and he looks emaciated. Like you can see the bones jutting out of his entire body. And he starts frantically talking to them. But as he talks, they realize he's talking in a language that they can't understand. So they give him a piece of paper and a pencil and they say, just draw it out for us. And he draws something, but they just don't get it. They can't tell what he's trying to tell them. This man was trying to tell them a story. And that's the story I'm going to tell you today. So this man, his name is Jose Alvarenga. And in 2012, in November 2012, he was a fisherman in Mexico. In November 2012, he sets out on this two-day long fishing expedition. He was supposed to set out with his regular crewmate, his regular partner. But that guy called in at the last moment and said, I can't make it. So, Jose Alvarenga settles for a substitute. This substitute, his name was Ezekiel Cordoba. Ezekiel Cordoba was an 18-year-old. He wasn't really an experienced fisherman. In fact, the thing that he was really known for was football. But it was an emergency and he couldn't find anybody else. So he's like, cool, let's have the footballer on the on the boat. Right? So the boat they set out in is a, a, a relatively small boat. Okay? It's like this 25-foot boat. It's not very broad. It's got a few things. Okay. It's got like these planks of wood. It's got a, a radio to communicate. And it's got Uh, an ice box to keep the fish in, the fish that they catch. Jose Alvarenga and uh, Ezekiel Cordoba, they set out to sea. And initially, they have a very good time of it. The fishing expedition is going really well. They have a bountiful catch. They catch marlin and shark and all sorts of fish. But then their luck changes along with the weather. Suddenly, the wind starts picking up. The clouds start forming. The sky starts darkening. And they realize that they've been hit by a storm. It's a vicious, ferocious storm. And it rocks the boat. They're being thrashed. This boat is being taken further and further out into the ocean. Jose Alvarenga frantically calls for help on the radio. He manages to get through to his boss. And he says that we've been hit by a storm and we are being dragged out. But before they can figure out where they are or, or communicate anything else, the radio battery dies. Now, Jose Alvarenga, being an experienced fisherman, decides that the best course of action is to just keep the boat steady and try to keep moving towards the shore. And at the same time, he tells Cordoba, the young uh, fisherman with him, he tells him, keep bailing, keep bailing, take the water out of this little boat. Right? And it's a bad situation. It's, they're being completely roughhoused by this ocean, right? thrown side to side. In fact, at one point, it got so bad that a wave lifts them up three stories in the air. And then like an elevator, it plummets them down. The motion sickness is so bad that Cordoba is leaning to the side of the boat and consistently throwing up. Right? And this storm is no ordinary storm. This storm lasts for five days. Five days, these two men in their small boat get battered by the elements. And then finally, on the the fifth day, when the storm clears and the, the sky lightens and warm sunshine hits them, they finally are able to figure out where they are. And where they are is in the middle of nowhere. They try to make sense of their boat and they realize that All the fishing gear has been swept off. The radio is useless and the motor has also been wrecked. There are no sails, there's no motor and now they're completely at the mercy of the ocean and wherever the ocean currents take them. So they start floating and now there's one option and one option only which is survival and they try their best to do it. They realize that what is necessary is to be hydrated, to be fed and to hide from the scorching heat of the sun. Time passes, 14 days go by and there's no water. Finally, on the 14th day, that luck changes when rain starts pouring and the two men rejoice and they start gathering up this rainwater, this precious, precious, fresh water. And they look up and they open their mouths and they just let it fall into them. During the first month of their voyage out at sea, they're still relatively close to the shore. And because they're close to the shore, lots of turtles are in the water. And here's what they do. They grab the turtles from the sea into the boat and they kill them and they drink their blood. Okay, Blood is pretty nutritious. It's not Gatorade, but it's the next best thing. Okay, So they're drinking turtle blood and they start catching fish, but they don't have gear. So how do they do it? Jose Alvarega comes to the rescue. This man is an experienced fisherman and he knows how to catch fish with his bare hands. That's the kind of badass this guy is. Okay. So here's what he does. Okay. He leans on the side of the boat, puts his chest on the side, puts his hands in the water. Okay. And his hands are a little distance apart and they're completely still. And as a fish would swim in between them, he would grab it by the scales and pull it in. He notices that there are also sharks that are tailing their little boat. Right. occasionally a shark would nudge against it and they would feel the bump of it and they'd realize that holy shit there's only this little piece of wood separating us from that thing but when there are smaller sharks around Jose Alvarenga says <laughs> okay. so here's what he does he baits the sharks by putting his hand in the water and as the sharks come near it, he grabs them by the fin and hauls them back in. And what does he do? They have a little knife. They manage to kill the shark, cut it open. And they have the liver of the shark, which is, again, extremely, extremely good for survival. It's the kind of thing you would find on Bear Grylls' diet. So they're, they're eating these things, right? They're also eating fish, and shark, and turtles. Eventually, the ocean currents drag them further out into the ocean. And now those things start dwindling. And they have to rely on other things for survival. So what they do is, Jose Alvarenga uh, has finds a little. He finds like this plank and he puts it on the side of the boat, and he waits for birds to land on it. And as they would land on it, he got really good at crouching, waiting, stalking, and then grabbing onto these birds. Right. So they started eating a lot of birds to the point where their weight stabilized. Okay, just on an all seabird diet. As time passes, two months go by and now things are oddly, oddly normal. They have this routine going on where Jose Alvarenga has become really good at catching food and they're really good at collecting rainwater and they have supplies and they're able to keep out of the sun. How do they do that? They have that little ice box, and these two men crouch underneath the icebox and see out the days. Two months in, Alvarenga is doing all right. But his partner, Cordoba is declining. The younger man is slowly losing the will to survive. And he's having these thoughts that maybe it's better to die in the ocean rather than starve on the boat. It reached a point where he started thinking that maybe when the sharks surround the boat, he would jump in with them. And it almost happens. They are thrown some food off the side of the boat and sharks has started gathering and that's when Cordoba gets up turns to Alvarenga and says goodbye and he's about to jump when Alvarenga grabs him and holds on to him and wrestles him and says you can't go, you can't go, you can't go the two men are stuck together and in the long nights they have conversations and the only thing they can converse about is the one thing that they're trying to prevent which is death Cordoba then tells Alvarenga that look, if I die promise me, you won't eat me. They make another pact. The pact is this. The two men agree that if one of us survives, that person will go to the other person's parents and tell them what happened. And then four months into this incredible journey, Cordoba starts fading. It happens when one day they were eating birds. And suddenly Cordoba starts convulsing and frothing. They try to figure out what's happened. And they look at the intestine of the bird. And in the intestine, they find this partial skeleton of a snake. And they realize that the bird had eaten the snake. And now possibly Cordoba is poisoned, right? They managed to make him puke and throw out everything that he's eaten. And slowly he makes a recovery. But the cost was that now he was extremely, extremely wary of food, right so he starts shutting down right he stops eating and he goes into a rapid decline and then one day cordoba asks for water alvarenga gives him a plastic bottle filled with fresh water but cordoba is not putting it to his lips and then that day cordoba dies and he dies on that boat with his eyes open alvarenga is distraught he's destroyed the one person he had on this boat is now gone right and that night he cries and he cries and he cries and goes to sleep the next morning he wakes up and he turns to the cops and he says did you sleep well what would you like for breakfast and then he starts answering these questions as if he is cordoba and then at this point he starts having these full-fledged conversations with himself Right? He's putting on this one-act play for a corpse. A few days pass. Finally, on the sixth day, the night of that day, it's a moonless night. Alvarenga is sitting and having these conversations with himself. And then suddenly it strikes him about what he's doing. It suddenly realizes that I'm having a conversation with a dead guy. And I'm answering for the dead guy. He realizes that he's going insane. And he realizes there's only one way to stop it. So that night, he says a prayer for Cordoba. He takes the clothes off of him because they're useful. And then he pushes the body into the sea. And he lets him go. The next morning when he wakes up, he's completely destroyed. Because now he's completely alone. And now a weird part of this journey sets in where he starts going a little crazy. He starts hallucinating things, imagining things, living in almost like a fantasy world. Right, where he would walk across the boat and he would just imagine as if he was wandering the earth in distant places. He would imagine these places vividly. Right. He would start imagining him, himself having these gourmet food, all his favorite stuff he's imagining himself consuming. Right. And he's imagining himself having the best sex of his life. But he's vividly imagining all of these things. And and as his as his time passes, he's He's just coping every single day. Then one day he looks up on the horizon. He sees a ship. Okay. It's a giant ship and it's far away and his hope skyrockets. He's like, this is it. I might get saved. So he stands up and he waves frantically at this ship, right? But it's a cargo ship and these cargo ships don't have too many people on the deck. And they have these predetermined routes and they keep going along them. And to make matters worse, Alvarenga's boat was painted blue and had a white bottom. So it looked exactly like the ocean it was in. And so he sees this giant ship go across him and then disappear into the horizon. And with it disappears his hope. And this doesn't just happen once. This happens 20 times. 20 times he sees a ship and his hope goes up, and then the ship disappears, and he's filled with despair. And this crushes him, right? And he reaches this point where he's like, I, I want to give up. But then thoughts of his family and his future keep him alive. And he says, I will get through this while this is happening. There were some nights which were the most beautiful nights that he's ever experienced. He's on the bobbing sea gently rocked by the waves and he would look up and the constellations would be filling the sky. And as a young boy Alvarenga's grandfather had taught him how to calculate time using the lunar cycles and that's what he used to do every single night. And then one morning he looks up and he sees that the sky is filled with birds. And they're not seabirds; they're shorebirds. And he sits upright and he scans the horizon, and then he sees that in the distance there is an island. But he doesn't get his hopes up because he's like, maybe this is a mirage. Maybe my mind has conjured this incredible sight. And he's like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put my hopes up. There's no way. There is no way. But then the ocean currents start leading him towards it, and as he gets closer, he sees that the island is getting bigger. And closer and more vivid and he realizes that holy shit it's land so to speed up this process he dumps everything outside his boat everything that was on it just to speed it up now it's a risky gamble because if that's not an island and it's just a figment of his imagination then all the stuff that he's been using to survive is now at the bottom of the ocean but he takes that chance Right? And the ocean currents lead him faster towards the island. And then as he's 10 yards away, he jumps off the boat and starts paddling in the ocean like he's a sea turtle. And then he manages to get onto ground. And for the first time in a long time, he feels solid ground. And it's a beautiful sight. There are these lush trees and the smell of flowers and the sound of birds. And he can't believe it. He runs to the foliage and he finds this beach house and he bangs on the door. And as he bangs on the door, the door is opened and there's a couple inside. And he tries to tell them what's happened, but they can't understand him. So they give him a a paper and a pencil and he tries to draw it, but he can't cram what he's gone through onto a paper and his drawings. So he talks and he talks because he's not met another human being And he just speaks to them, but they can't get it. So finally, he starts laughing and they laugh along with him. At some point, the couple realizes after a lengthy fit of laughing, they realize that this man has clearly gone through something. They assume that he's a shipwreck survivor because he clearly doesn't look like a tourist. You know, like a guy who is scuba diving. Doesn't look like that. Looks very different. They decide they should go for help. So they call for help. And now they have to get... Jose Alvarenga from this little island that he's landed upon to the mainland. But how does he have to get there? He has to get there by boat. (laughs) And Jose Alvarenga was like, you know what? How about I don't get on another boat for the rest of my life? So finally, they are able to convince him. And he gets on the boat and reach mainland. And when people see him, they can't believe it. because. This man has been through something incredible because he was found on 30th January 2014. But he's still able to walk. He's still in relatively healthy shape. And a lot of people didn't believe that Jose Alvarenga had done what he had done. But eventually, everyone came around to it. Because when the doctors examined him, they were like, this man shows all the signs of having been out at sea for that long. In addition to that, when they looked at the ocean currents, they completely matched the journey that his little boat had taken. Jose Alvarenga is taken to a hospital where he recovers slowly. And when he recovers, he finally makes his way back home. And his family can't believe it. Days after his radio call, they had searched for him and they had searched for him and they couldn't find any trace of this boat and they had thought that he was already long dead and there he was in front of them alive and well. He stays with his family for a while and then finally he makes one last trip. He goes to the house of Ezekiel Cordoba and he tells his parents about what had happened and that's the story of the longest time anybody has spent at sea in that smaller boat because Jose Alvarenga floated for 9,000 kilometers. He had been at sea for 438 days. This was uh, the script of Life of Pi without any of the magical realism stuff. So that's the story. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you liked it, then please leave a like and a comment. Let me know what you thought of it. Uh, if you have other stories you'd like me to cover, then also drop them in the comments below. As you know, this particular series is sponsored by my career. If you'd like to support my career, then please go to the description because I'm going to be doing shows uh, soon. On 31st October, I'm doing shows in Thane. And 6th and 7th, I'm in Pune. So links to tickets are in the description. Uh, get them soon. I'll see you there.